Hello, and welcome to Little Grey Cells, the Poirot podcast. What? <laughs> no, no, that's, that is what it is. I thought we were, you know, branding. Hmm, good branding. Thanks. Today, we will be looking at season one mystery, The Incredible Theft. It was incre- was it incredible, Pip, or do we need to get to that at the end? Well, I'm Pip. Oh, hi. <laughs> hi. And joining me today is Chris Thurston. Hello. Hi. I don't think that was a successful intro. Let's never try that again. Okay, I'm sorry. I That's thought all right. I'd go professional and mm. it hasn't really how did panned that, out. How did it work out? Terribly. Okay. Almost as badly as Hastings is his love life. Anyway. Mm. Skipping ahead a bit. <laughs> so, uh, how, how, how do we start? We start at an airfield, do we not? Yes. So mm. the incredible theft begins. At an airfield. Mm, Mayfield's airfield. Yes. <laughs> Where Mr. Mayfield is standing around with Sir George Carrington. Yes, wait, someone, one of them's waiting for the other one. I don't know which way around it is. It's Mayfield is waiting for Carrington. Right. Because Mayfield is going to show him the, what is it, the Mayfield Kestrel? Yeah. Which is a super fast-turning plane so, with the capacity to blow up trucks it doesn't agree with yes someone's gonna correct me on this but it l- looks a lot like a spitfire and he even says like you know it's called the kestrel until we come up with a better name for it and i suspect for filming the episode they used a you know a spitfire Buh. and uh and had to kind of like rename it for the episode or something. I don't know. I imagine your mum would be so my, useful for this. My mum would know exactly. But, um, <laughs> yes, like I, I don't, I don't want to say with authority that it definitely is a Spitfire they use for it. But, uh, but either we way, are basically in the late thirties. Yes. So either way, we're looking at a plane that, uh, you know, a prototype of a plane that will, should war break out, be instrumental in the defense of Britain, the battle of Britain, if you will. <laughs> Meanwhile, Poirot is putting Vaseline on his shoes. Yes. <laughs> we intercut between Poirot's shoe care and the Spitfire blowing up a truck. Yes. In a quite exciting tonal ping pong. <laughs> well, yes. Um, and Poirot is ostensibly giving Hastings a lecture in the care of patent leather, which he thinks will serve him for many years to come. Whereas Hastings is lying on the sofa looking despondently at the ceiling and trying to come up with topics of conversation that he can use to impress an architecture student that he's got his eye on. <laughs> <laughs> I like that everyone's back from holiday now after the last couple of episodes, and this is just back to life in Poirot's house, mm. where they all live for some reason, because Hastings doesn't have his own house. So far, he, is, uh, he has explored his limitations when it comes to cubic measurements mm. and the sculptures of Bernini. Yeah. <laughs> There's a great, uh, I love the series of reveals about how Hastings courtship oh, is going. Yeah, it's so bad. He's basically being ghosted by this girl, so he keeps having to have tea with her mum, because he keeps <laughs> calling around and she's not there. <laughs> yeah, like, this, is, this, this episode's really going to have to break Hastings down before they build him back up. <sighs> but and- yeah, so he's basically dating the mum. Yes. At this point. 
and but he still thinks that he's somehow in a relationship yeah. with the girl it's just that he thinks that they just maybe don't have that much to talk about and it transpires that she is actively avoiding him well yeah it transpires they may all. not have actually met <laughs> <laughs> must have seen her because yes. he clearly knows where she, where her mother lives at least <laughs> <laughs> but yeah anyway so he's he's not exactly focused on shoe care Poirot is very focused on shoe care though because he's shining his shoes for a long time that's very true but he's very like you know you don't want the leather to crack do you now no that's hence the vaseline exactly but uh miss lemon is also not bothered about the shoes she is however bothered about Putting through anonymous calls to Poirot because under which letter would they then be filed, Chris? Yes, I, like, I like this because obviously Poirot does deal with sensitive matters because he's a detective. So anonymous calls and tips and things will be a factor in that. And I like the implication that Miss Lemon has simply never acknowledged any of these because they are not compatible with her otherwise very thorough filing system. Well, it strikes me that surely she would have a contingency for this you know yeah. like no, well, her contingency is to put the phone down well yeah but i i feel like she would enjoy an interesting challenge of cross-referencing mm. you know for for different types of anonymous caller mm. it yes. strikes me that that would be a knotty filing problem yeah, she would actively enjoy spending her half-term break unpicking she's at, she's at a hump here but on the other side of this difficult time lies a revelation in the granularity of her filing system mm. so we got that's to look forward to though that's not going to be that thread is not going to be resolved in this episode but as hasting as um poirot points out life first filing later yes or whatever it was yeah that's he expresses a certain kind of like you know seize the day kind of whimsy there in fact th- this this whole scene is very uh kind of whimsy Poirot I think well I think it's more him being quite sort of he's the most sensible person in this house of of nonsense yeah yeah you know you've got Hastings' disastrous you know attempts at dating and you've got Miss Lemon's absolute rigidity when it comes to you know if you do not have a name that begins with the alphabet as I have designated it in my drawer system then no dice yeah indeed whereas Poirot is just like you know caring for his shoes and and listening to them both I like that so Poirot says well if she does call back this anonymous woman put her through Mm. and then she does but soon enough that Poirot is still shining his shoes Mm. by the time she calls back yeah she's very keen to get through or several days pass and Poirot is still shining his shoes those are the two options there I think that either is reasonable or it might just be a daily thing you know mm, and he's just always shining his shoes at that time of day that that actually that hastings that is always lying on his sofa yeah you know miss lemon is always bringing him a tisane at that time of day so mm. yeah know. yes yeah poor hastings well <laughs> deadbeat uncle <laughs> it's, I, he doesn't seem brought low by it no, but it's it's his absence of anything to do. I mean, this has obviously been a recurring point for me with Hastings. That's true. But like, you know, I know that he is of independent means and doesn't really have to do anything because he was in the war. But well, yeah, but you <laughs> just want to. You see him as a dog. So Look, you and that theory will be fully him, borne out by this episode. Like, you know, a toy and a walk. Yeah, he like <laughs> he's padding around trying to find somewhere to sleep. 
<laughs> which again will be a plot thread we return to. <laughs> but yes, so we uh, we pop back to the airfield to find out that um, Sir George Carrington is not prepared, or the government rather is not prepared to invest in Mayfield as yet. Yeah, because even though he has this potentially, you know, game changing slash war changing um, plane in development. Um, he also has a slight shadow across his character because of some previous dealings with, um, I believe he was selling arms to the Japanese. He was accused, he was accused of selling arms to the Japanese and, but we don't really know those details yet. We just know that there's some sort of Japanese business hanging Mm. over him that is present, preventing him, uh, from, from being fully trusted by the government. Mm, and uh, so his plan for that is to uh is to reel in a suspected um espionage yeah he is aristocrat <laughs> he is attempting he his his way of building trust with the government is to use the occasion of a dinner party at his house to entrap a woman who is believed to have german sympathies mm. that's a complicated plan, but it's what he's chosen to do. <laughs> so essentially it's that he thinks that he'll clear his name. The idea is that he'll clear his name with the government and they will start actually giving him the money to make these developments. Yes. If he can prove that he's, you know, on the British government's side. Yes, and hand them this Yeah, Nazi like, it's, it's a proof of... Your particular moral mm. compass direction, I suppose. Yeah, and I mean, and already, I mean, already a truck has blown up in this episode, so we're into high octane international politics, Poirot now. But yes, so the anonymous caller who is now, this is a, a, because she's now calling herself Mrs. Smith. Mm. So it's like she's clearly wise to Miss Lemon's. Yeah, she completely gets around Miss like, Lemon's system. It's, uh, which is lie. Exactly. Just make up a name. Miss Lemon will have to file it. Mm. <laughs> it's not. Not rocket science. Um, and she gets patched through and Poirot's like, oh, do you want to come over? Um, <laughs> and she does not want to. She wants to meet somewhere, somewhere slightly less, uh, expected, I suppose. And, and somewhere where they won't be recognized. <laughs> and so they go to the only place where Poirot is completely invisible. <laughs> The penguin enclosure at London Zoo. Well, it's the Art Deco, now deprecated uh, penguin pool at London Zoo, which is no longer fit for penguins, but they can't demolish because it's a listed building. Good fact. Thanks. Um, and <laughs> yes, I, mean, I, I think I was getting him confused a bit with Paddington at this point, but I kind of assume this is where they found Pyro. <laughs> with like a little... Waddling along. With a little, yeah, with a little tag on him saying like, please care for this detective. But, um, and he's carrying his copy of the Times, like it's a proper spy fiction mm. thriller. And, um, she isn't, she's not wearing her green carnation because she doesn't think it suits her and she wanted to check him out. It's like, yeah. surely lots of people might be carrying a copy of the Times. I think, well, he's famous, right? So she would recognize him. It was a question of her recognizing him recognizing her. I quite like this subversion of the spy trope. <laughs> In some ways, this is actually foreshadowing that this, the spy thing is sort of mm. turned on its head a bit. Um, and, um, I did also like, well, I, I liked the, uh, very loud 
toucan. Well, yes, then they decamped to the the tropical bird. Which must have been a nightmare to film. Um, (laughs) There's just toucans in the background. Yeah, the very loud toucan is my first contender for Extra of the Week. Mm, Fair enough. Um, And I also like the line where she says, my name isn't Smith. (laughs) You astound me, madam. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. No shit. He's in proper snark mode. He's very catty. This is a very catty pyro episode. But, um, and he initially thinks that they're there to discuss, you know, infidelity of some kind because she starts by sort of pointing out that her husband has a woman coming for the weekend Mm. but then it transpires that it is the same um situation that mayfield and uh, sir george were discussing she is margaret mayfield is Mm. Mm. yeah and uh, joanna vandalin is the uh the terrible house guest Mm. yes yes we'll get to her Mm. so at this point we cut straight to the the dinner party i think we got to um lady carrington arriving at the dinner party mm. um cruella de bantz <laughs> isabel i believe her name yes. is. uh, and uh mm-hmm. well uh, and there's there's just a lot of sort of british posturing chit chat we get a full sort of smorgasbord of um toffs in a sort of run here, I think, including, is it Reggie? So there's Reggie, who I believe you, uh, called, what was it? A floppy head pacifist. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, a, yes, he's, a, um. I don't think he is. I think he's just doing everything to needle anybody. Yes. In this first scene, I thought he might be a sort of, you know, a kind of thirties young romantic, you know, he's off, he's on. He's gone down from Oxford and he's, he's been talking to his continental friends again or something. Cause his first, the first thing you hear him say is critical of, um, of Mayfield's kind of warmongering, mm. but that's not the case at all. He just says whatever's the most inappropriate thing in any given circumstance and is later dismissed by his own mother as you've always been a snot, Reggie. <laughs> <laughs> which is great yes well basically he's just a, a plonker that's the he's not it's not even that he's just unpleasant to everybody mm. he's having he's basically a 22 year old man having a 13 year old strop yeah he's not important enough to the episode to qualify as a main character even really he's just sort of notably a bit of a tosser in every scene that he's in mm. I think he has slightly more of a role in the short story, but... Mm. Yeah, he's the sort of person that could almost be... This is true of a few people in this episode, um, including uh, Lady Carrington, Mm. um, who could almost be suspects if the episode lingered on them at all. Mm. But their complete absence is sort of... It's one of the interesting things about this as a mystery, I think. We'll get to that when we get a bit deeper. he's essentially just there, so that everybody in a scene has a focal point for, oh, do... Yes, (laughs) Yes, <laughs> yes. Shut up, Reggie. Sort Sod of. off. Yes, yes. yes. The... Are we allowed to swear on this podcast? I don't know. I, I've been sort of avoiding it because it, it feels out of character for Poirot. I think he'd frown at me. I know, I didn't mean to, and I, I feel bad. Can we, can we chop that out? Or beep it? Could you beep it? I'll beep it. Okay. Yes. Thank you. That's all right. <laughs> oh. I think I... I've probably sworn on previous ones, but... I don't think I have. I probably have. I tend not to. Well, I'll beep it anyway. Okay, thank you. Anyway, no worries. Poirot's having a martini at this point. Mm. And just sort of 
He's just there. Mingling. And, um, and then we get our first awful American. Yes, this is a landmark moment because, mm. um, we've, we, it feels like over the course of this first season, we've been kind of slowly getting towards things that are going to absolutely become Poirot kind of, um, mainstays later on. Like it's been, you know, it took a long time for us to get even like a proper like dining room confrontation scene and that mm. kind of thing where someone tries to ineffectually run away. Um, and <laughs> we've had two of what's, them. Uh, so yeah. what's the name of the character, the Nazi sympathizer woman? Oh, Mrs. Vandalin. Mrs. Vandalin. Joanna Vandalin is our first terrible American woman. Well, it's that thing, isn't it, where it's not that she's terrible because she's American, but she's that very particular sort of type in this kind of fiction Mm. where, you know, it's sort of just too loud, too gauche, too gaudy. You know, she basically turns up in a silver lame dress. She looks like a glam cyberman. (laughs) Which is great. Yeah. This is the thing, right? Like there's all and there's always a sort of understanding the passage between Poirot, the immaculately polite foreigner in British Mm. society, and whoever the awful American woman of the episode is, who is always like a kind of glitter bomb has gone off in the center of whatever dining party they're attending, right? <laughs> like they, they are po- polar opposite sorts of foreigner in, in thirties British polite society. Yeah. Uh, which is interesting because I think she uh, obviously gets the eye roll and also has a reputation as being a, a Nazi you know, spy. Yeah. Well, yeah. So that I, f- I really do feel like the, you know, that, that adds, adds to this. But, yes, it um, does. Cause I mean, there is lo- that moment where, uh, Lady Carrington turns up and she's just basically like, Oh, well, you know, you're foreign, aren't you? You'll soon get used to our ways, I suppose, to yeah. Poirot and then just wanders off. Oh, and yeah. And like a lot of these characters in Agatha Christie kind of seems to, um, help define some of the problems of British society either side, right? It's not like the normal people and quote unquote normal people in the middle are good. Most characters are awful, I yes. would say. Yes. In Agatha Christie. Yeah. Like, and I, you know, cause I've been on a bit of a Marple binge and even mm. Marple is like, oh, for heaven's jerk. sake. Yeah. <laughs> But the, yeah, there are very few actual sort of nice people. Hastings <laughs> that she yeah. dwells on. Yeah, Hastings is probably one of the few of them. Yeah. Um. And uh, yes, but no, she is terrible. She's here to either um, drink all your booze, steal your husband, or sell your aeroplane to Hitler. Mm. Those are possibly in that order. Well, yeah, but then this is um, cut to the rather racist dinner party. Oh, God. Oh, God. So, you know, the whole thing is just, oh. Yeah, like this is forbearing Poirot sits listening to everyone be terrible. In his bib. In his huge bib. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. (laughs) His his huge but absolutely pristine bib. Mm-hmm. So it's weird because does he have a bib for his bib so that his bib doesn't get dirty? No, he just doesn't drop anything. But he then why, do, why bib? Because it's only proper. But no one else does it. That's because they are the they are living flag. dangerously. <laughs> that cavalier attitude to to what is right it will soon plunge Europe into the horrors of a Second World War. Mm. If everyone was pyro, this would be fine. I suppose so. And then they all go off to play bridge. Yeah, indeed. So. Um, yeah, there's a little plot beat that's dropped here. This is also the scene where, uh, Miss Carrington calls Reggie an awful little snot or something, which is very good. Mm. Um, 
but um she's great actually she she would be a star character if this was episode was in any way about her but it's not but it does flirt with the idea that it might be because it mentions that she has terrible gambling debts from mm. playing too much bridge yeah and being bad at bridge mm. which she is unable to countenance so blames Poirot. <laughs> yeah which was quite entertaining yes yeah, she's just like mm. a bit of dunning kruger there she's a bad loser but this is my favorite bit. This Poirot is an goes. amazing reveal. So Poirot says, <laughs> Poirot says, I, you know, I will go for it. I turn in the garden before my bed or whatever. I don't know why uh, what that accent was. I need some practice. Um, <laughs> and this is a genuine reveal. Who's in the garden cold and alone? Hastings! Hastings has to wait outside. He's sitting on a little step on his own in the garden waiting for Poirot to come play with him. <laughs> like a dog might. It's so sad. And he's like, he's not allowed to stay in the house because he wasn't invited. And Poirot made him wait outside anyway. <laughs> yeah, and he made him stay in the village in a pub, but the pub is too crowded, so he's having to share a room with Inspector Jap, who is also there. <laughs> so, yes, so we have to unpack this. So the, the, there's a two-part reveal. One is that Poirot has enlisted Hastings to wait outside as like, kind of like a spy. <laughs> and the other is that someone else involved has enlisted inspector jab um, who is now sharing hastings's bed uh, yes hastings and there's only one bed so they're sleeping together yeah so this <laughs> there's a lot to unpack here and so i don't he's, know well he's there to be sort of incognito and but he's been speaking to the chauffeur <laughs> well this is the thing though but the chauffeur's the one that told him about um the gambling debts. Right, yeah. So he is learning some things, but... but what Poirot's... does the chauffeur think? Oh, there's just a man who walks around outside asking me pertinent questions well, about the guests. but Hastings is just one of those people that will get chatting to people. And mostly about cars as well, so it's not a surprise that he zoomed in on the chauffeur. Well, exactly, but he does end up just chatting to people and then usually find stuff out by accident and present it to Poirot, and mm. Poirot has to then sift through it for, for useful things. He'll, you know... Mm. But it's very cute. It is very cute. But he doesn't, yeah, he doesn't have any cover this time because Jap is literally in bed with him. <laughs> He's like, hi. <laughs> if so, if you've been shipping those two since the start of, of the season, I don't know why you would, but the uh, J-Stings or Hap, <laughs> it's happening. That's that's what this, that's what you'd call nice. this. Nice. Yeah, there you go. I like that. But um, anyway, and, and interspersed with all of this, we're sort of cutting to a... Um, piece of paper on a desk that's being wafted by a fan by a very blowy fan this will also have nothing to do with the solution to the episode no because it's like all it makes you think is use a paperweight this was the time of paperweights yeah, so, use a paperweight this um, man will have had a paperweight mayfield's sort of um secretary carlisle i think mm. um lays out the plans for the plane in a kind of baity way in order to entrap um awful american lady whose name she's gonna be the person vandalin um and uh and just i thought at this point we were setting up for like oh the fan has something to do with it but it's just i think it's just one of those things that makes you anxious like just, <laughs> it's like it should be one I of think those it was just to add dyna dynamic sort of elements to the scene otherwise you would just be cut to some paper being paper. paper yeah yeah so it has to be slightly flappy paper. <laughs> yeah, but it's, yes, it feels, it, but it feels like one of those, like, you know, f like Facebook loopy images, like, 
you know, this, those gifts that ever resolve. Like, mm. it just makes me anxious thinking about it. But then, mm. then, then Rayfield and Carrington go into the room and one of the pages has in yeah. fact gone walkabout. So yeah, so this is after they've gone for a walk outside, right? Where they see Miss Vanderlyn through the window and she's just forgotten her bag. Oh yeah, and then I've he also about that. and then he also claims to have seen someone running across the path. Well, yeah, but that you would, yeah. Some of that happens before. Some of it happens that, after. Well, because that's them walking to the study, right? But so that's when they have the the um, the bag. Chat. Chat. Yeah, it's just uh, this stuff happens before the theft because it's and this stuff is used as sort of evidence when the. Well, I thought the the seeing a person happened after. No, it's before. Okay. Well, because they're not very agitated at that point. They're they're basically it's all flustered English gentlemen after this point. I think maybe I'm confusing it with the book because I think in the book, like the mm. like oh no, the book happens slightly differently. Anyway, sorry, That's doesn't right. matter. Um, so. Yes. They have lost that piece of paper. Yes. The incredibly important one page of the document that if it got into German hands, that would be a disaster. Mm-hmm. And I believe Carrington thinks that Mayfield has executed an, a fantastic coup with this and, and has successfully entrapped and now, you know, has, has been proved righteous in the eyes of the, uh, the, government of the time and uh mayfield less happy <laughs> at this point and is a bit like mm, no this isn't what i had planned at all it's genuinely been stolen <laughs> so yeah at which point a tiny little poro pops up in the distance and goes hello <laughs> can i help <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's very very cute yeah and so that is just a whole i don't know but Poirot then just sort of listens to these explanations of air technology parity and and technological breakthroughs that I'm sorry, but he has not signed the Official Secrets Act at this no, point. Like, no, no. Why are we just we, chattering we, about this stuff? We are going to get some kind of renegade Poirot in this episode, and that's quite exciting. But one of them is this, that he just invites himself to this investigation it turns out that Carrington is the one who had sort of Jap waiting in the pub on standby. So there is already an official investigative line. But even when Jap finally arrives, he's just going to be like, Mr. Carrington, Mayfield, hello, Poirot. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, and so Poirot's having a great time, though. He's being, he's just wandering around the house, being followed by a bunch of men in dinner jackets, like yeah. tiny, weird penguin babies. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. There's a little bit of foreshadowing here at the zoo. <laughs> And just sort of talking through the elements of the case, they're sort of talking about Mrs. Vanderlyn's bag and who did what and who went where and, you mm. know, people, you know, where they could have been, all that kind of yeah. shenanigans. Um, well, <laughs> Reggie shows up. <laughs> yeah. And um, his dad's just like, go back to bed, Reggie. And then Reggie just sits down on the stairs in a kind mm. of shant <laughs> manner. There's also some good... Uh, Sort of photo bombs or portrait bombs in this sequence. Yeah, I think that the portraits might be my extras of the week. Mm, one in particular, which I think is supposed to be a portrait of a young Mayfield in flying gear. Yeah. Uh, 
um, is uh, very good. At, he's sort of doing the Riker lean, if you're familiar <laughs> with Star Trek The Next Generation. And it shows up over people's shoulders in enough shots, I think, to qualify as an extra. Well, no, because it only really shows up in his office. But then there's like an elderly character that is um sort of over someone else's shoulder when they go to knock for mm. Mrs. Vandalin. And then there's yet another sort of ancestor sort of i think peering down upon her as she sashays down the stairs yeah so yeah the, the point of the next sequence is that um poirot's sort of deductions establish that only the men and poirot could have done it based on who was where mm. in the house uh, they ignore this completely and just demand that jap arrest miss vandalin but also it has the wonderful section where sir george is just like she's my pigeon now yeah i didn't really yes 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 you know it's a turn of phrase but i it's one that i haven't heard in many a year yeah since the 30s (laughs) i don't know how old i think i am i think i just come from maybe a a a family which does not let go of old-fashioned phrases Mm. easily so but yes um so they they escort uh, Mrs. Vandalin out of the house when she's finally got dressed in full fashion plate, you know. Indeed, yeah. <laughs> Get up. And Reggie gives her a round of applause like a twerp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is an important for the episode. Just Reggie's a, a twerp, as you say. I almost said a naughty word that I have to bleep. We, we need to figure this out because I'm fairly sure that we probably have sworn in the Yeah, past. it just doesn't feel appropriate for Pyro. No. 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 We don't, let's not go, let's not, let's not end up in the kind of gritty. I was about to joke about a gritty reboot of Pyro, but that actually happened. So. <laughs> <laughs> but yes. And, but then it just feels like it, it then. I enjoyed this episode, but mostly just because it was a string of quite funny moments strung together rather mm. than there wasn't really a great mystery at no. the core of it because it's more things like um banter or you know Poirot sitting there in that dingy office playing with an airplane propeller while he points out to to George that yeah. actually none of this could possibly be a good idea and Sir George just sort of taps him on the shoulder and wanders off. Yeah, there's a sort of th- that scene is very good actually where Pyro's sat there waiting for Miss uh, Vandalin to come back from the police station and Pyro's just gently reminding uh, Carrington that there's actually no way she could have done it mm. um, and he's being ignored and Pyro is being basically quite um, catty and Pyro-ish about this. Like, he could be more helpful right? Uh, he he has a desire to be right, but he doesn't really have a desire to um, solve the case, apparently. Well, it's one of these things where the mood of it is that Poirot knows what's going on, so nothing's really in any danger. So he's just watching a bunch of people exhaust themselves, like mm. toddlers at a, at a little party. And then he'll just sort of swoop in at odd moments and entertain himself or, you know, ask pertinent questions or, you know, figure it out in his own time. Yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, they don't find anything to incriminate Miss van der Lynn, So she is brought back mm. uh, to the house in a huff, as, as Pyro thinks says. I think the next, is it the next morning we catch up? Well, with- hang on, hang on, hang on, hang on. Let me see. I'm just going through my notes because at one point they call Poirot Froggy and he is furious. 
Yes. Remember? Yeah, it's when she gets back, isn't it? Yes. No. No, it's when um, Sir George and uh, Mayfield are talking to each other in sort of hushed tones and Poirot is sort of listening in. Mm. Um, but also uh, this is the section, I believe, when uh, Chief Inspector Jap gets up in the attic and starts... Breaking things. <laughs> basically. Mm. <laughs> Just it's that weird sort of physical comedy and and his um his police officers are just a bit like you're right <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's a really pointless scene of jack trying to get a box open again this is not important to the mystery at all he does get the box open and then something else falls over that's the scene yeah but then um then it's the pub with hastings mm. so yeah yes um and hastings has had a very bad night because he's Jap a very is, good breakfast. He's having a very good breakfast. But Jap is apparently uh, a sleep talker slash sleep policeman <laughs> um, who shouts constantly to his bobbies. The, yeah. the, you know, the, the Jap entourage that show up whenever he shows up anywhere. Very, yes. Do you remember any of his... Stop, lads, he's got a blancmange, I think is one of them. Yes. Yes. Yeah, it's a weird detail. Stick him up, it's Jap of the Yard, does it again. You know, like <laughs> yeah. he's sort of the star of his own little hero comic, which was quite cute. Yeah. But Hastings is pointing out that he uh, spent three days uh, going through a, a German barrage in the previous war and it still wasn't as bad as sleeping <laughs> with Jap, apparently. Damn, so, uh, damn. That's some... Yeah, man. I mean, I think dragged. perhaps, <laughs> perhaps that's hyperbole for the sake of. of yes, exactly. Point, it's but... been it's been you know two decades since the war at this point, and, and Hastings has sort of um, started to you know make some false equivalences, probably. But mm. uh, one of his key breakfast uh, pieces of wisdom is to explain a little about the uh, the situation that Mayfield mm. previously found himself in with regards to selling uh aircraft to the japanese, japanese. government I yes believe. yes um he was accused of selling howitzers to the uh japanese um and then was acquitted um because it reportedly wasn't true well it it wasn't uh, even the case of an acquittal it wasn't like a legal proceeding it was the it was, the, like a it scandal. was reported in the press and then the press had to backtrack because apparently it wasn't true and mm. they'd got the whole thing wrong and but that it had cast a, a shadow over mm. thingy's character Mayfield's yeah. character yeah, yeah. hence all of the shenanigans and hence reggie mentioning emperor hirohito every now and again mm. um just over bridge because <laughs> yeah. reggie is is the worst yes yeah because reggie's terrible um and uh however this series of uh this series of um tidbits of information is enough to give poirot the the, the revelations mm, well not really a revelation is it it's more that he it 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 sparks something and mm. so he wants to walk back to the to the house and think while he goes because Hastings offers to drive him but um uh, Poirot refuses because he'd like to ponder mm. this new information and then I, I believe when he arrives back at the house that's when Mrs. Um, Vandalin is leaving in in 
in a pool. Well, not really a pool. It's just like a massive huff. Yes, yes. <laughs> it's a state of high dudgeon. <laughs> Quite. So, um, and she clambers into into the car wearing sort of a white fantastic outfit and uh, is has, has a red briefcase handed to her entirely unsuspicious and not at all by Carlisle yes <laughs> yeah at this point I was like oh they're in it together and it's just a question of like in what configuration mm. and she also completely unsuspiciously hands him a letter mm. to post yes which he leaves on a silver salver in the uh, entrance hall and Poirot goes over and inspects it mm. And then, uh, and then Pyro sort of very animatedly, uh, rushes back outside. Is that right? Well, he runs all the way back into the village, doesn't he? Yes. To find Hastings. Hastings has meanwhile taken all of the spark plugs out of his car and is poking around in the engine. He's with showing the policeman. a policeman. He's showing a policeman his engine. Yes. And, uh, Pyro's like, we must get after her. We must stop her. Oh, quick, the sequence quick is so car. good. And, um, but Hastings is like, yeah, but I've taken out all the plugs. So, um, we can't for an hour. And then Poirot just gets him to steal the police car. Yep. Hastings and Poirot steal it. So if you felt this episode, nothing was really happening. You're right. But this goes to naught to at least 45. Um, <laughs> very, very abruptly as Hastings and, and Poirot steal a police car. And we get into the first car chase. I think yes. we're not going to count the bit where Poirot, Hastings dives out the way of his own car. Well, there is the the car section of the chase in um, Triangle. Of, is it Triangle? Of that's that's true. This is this is a car. This is a chase between two cars, though. So it is. Yeah, a, that's true. Um, across country lanes, and um, we get to see Hastings drive <laughs> and really drive. Mm. Like he does some some sick drifts. He does. It's, he's a good driver. He, he went good, to Le Mans for God's sake. He, he's a good driver, <laughs> and uh, this is like. It would be like Fast and Furious, but like while it's happening, Pyro is like also getting his little glasses on so he can read the map. So Aww. it's more like quick and polite yeah. is how I would define this. Yeah. Too quick, too polite. <laughs> <laughs> oh. Um, <laughs> too quick, too mildly ticked off. Yeah, exactly. But um, um, oh, Too no. quick, too miffed. <laughs> but we have your, I think what you said might be your extra of the yes, week. Yes, okay. Because Mrs. Vanderlyn's car gets stuck behind a uh, rustic truck of some description with hay in the back. Yes, there's just a bumpkin on the back. He's just having a... He's just in the hay. He's just having a big old relax in the hay, chewing <laughs> some hay, being a bumpkin. He gives her a look and she sort of scoffs in a kind of disgusted American Nazi kind of way. Um, and as they attempt, she attempts to flee the uh, the car bearing in on them. Uh, so, But she does surprise them because Hastings assumes that she's heading for the London Road. Hmm. But she makes a turning that he doesn't expect. So she's- that's when he gets the map out and starts like doing that thing where you sort of pat it without being able to see it from the driver's seat when mm. you're kind of like, look, it must be around here somewhere. And you just like stab it down on the thing while your mother can't figure out where you are. Yes. Um <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, um, too <laughs> that's quick, enough too about myth. my trip to Leicester. <laughs> um, 
So, but they're able to, um, Pyro reads out the list of the towns on the road and it's none of them. And then this is amazing because this is Hastings basically forgetting what's oh, going yeah. on. No, he tells him about some of the villages because it's just like, okay, well, yeah, I can't no remember idea. the name. It's something like, you know, Hoxton or, or something like, like that. Rockingham or something. Yeah. Um, and Hastings <laughs> says, this is the best. Thinking about what's going on. Hastings has forgotten what's going on, clearly, oh, yeah, other than he has no to chase idea. that car. Yeah. Um, and Which he says, is about the most golden retriever thing yeah, that he could like, be doing. Chase, 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 chase. And um, <laughs> he says, oh, Hoxton, I had a, a pal during the war who had a home near that. It was right next to the German ambassador's summer mansion. <laughs> <laughs> and Hastings like- looks at him like, the what? <laughs> and then he, oh, dear God, Paro, that's probably it, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> So, yes, and then we sort of cut to uh, Mrs. Vandalin. Actually, yes, no, we do. We cut to Mrs. Vandalin, like, on the doorstep of the uh, German ambassador's house with this red case, just sort of, you know, Loitering. ringing the bell and, and, you know. There's even a sign that says, like, German ambassador's house. Residence, yeah. Residence, yeah. And then, is it a, a German shepherd? Yes, a German shepherd comes, comes along, dragged by a very sort of Aryan-looking guard. Just in case, just in case we really needed this. Yes, and um, then they then they see Kyle, and she hands over a um. Yeah, a case. well, she does more like a fruity wave. He sees Kyle's. Yes, that's true. <laughs> yes. She, yeah. Where yeah. while Poirot and Hastings sort of stare at this from a bush across the road. Mm. So, and you know, you're sort of the the implication is maybe that oh well that's now out of everybody's hands oh dear mm. but obviously you know the fact that Poirot isn't worried implies that isn't whoops that isn't the the whole story so. yes yeah I was surprised they didn't do anything to try and stop this but yeah Poirot as ever is slightly a step ahead well they have to drive the stolen police car all the way back to where Jap is now just having people dig up the flower beds (laughs) looking for a piece of paper (laughs) because he can't think of there's a bobby who may also be a contender for extra the week who just goes i don't think she would have hidden it there sir and he goes but you've got any better ideas (laughs) well literally anywhere else i mean (laughs) so dumb (laughs) but yeah so poro arrives and uh he is sort of Doing that manic pixie dream detective thing of just being like, yes, the plans have been safely delivered to the German ambassador. <laughs> like, ah, great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And everyone is kind of a bit, no, not great. <laughs> but yes, and um, Mayfield and his wife were sort of having some kind of awkward tete-a-tete in the, yes. uh, in the drawing room, I guess, or the library or one of the rooms, mm. one of the many rooms. When, uh, yes, Poirot delivers this news. But then he also... Uh, oh, it's because Mayfield can't find the letter. Yeah, Mayfield's, Mayfield's upset because he can't find the letter that was left for him. Mm. But Poirot stole it. Yes. Right before he ran into town and nicked a police car. <laughs> <laughs> He's committed so many crimes. Yeah. Because mail theft is a crime. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. As is actual theft as is as is stealing a car yeah yeah that's that's definitely a thing yeah um but he sort of he has realized that the um what's in the plans yeah i don't know how i don't know how poirot knows what's in this letter well i think it's more that he knows that it will likely be proof of something bad (laughs) because he 
has realised that the only person who could have taken that particular sheet of paper was probably Mayfield himself. Mm. And so he would have only done that for, you know, because he was being blackmailed. Right, yeah. That's the... That's yes, we should probably, yeah, we could probably work that back when we sort of establish that's what happened. Yeah, so he gives the letter to Mrs. Mayfield. Mm-hmm. She opens it and goes, eh, I can't read it, it's in Chinese. And he goes, Japanese. And the letter is like, like a bill of sale or like it's proof it's that he did actually sell howitzers to the Japanese. Yeah. So that's what Mrs. Vanderlyn was using to blackmail Mayfield into giving her these new plans. Mm. So that's that's the basic idea here. And it's essentially he sort of... There's double bluffing and there's nonsense and it's just... Yeah. It's, it's kind of silly. It also establishes that uh, the plans that he let, he stole for her... Well, this is what Carlisle comes in to sort of yeah. reveal, because Sir George is apoplectic at this point. Apoplectic. Yeah. But nonetheless, the, the plans they let her steal are subtly incorrect in a way that will send the Germans down a blind alley and not actually give them anything. Mm. So there's basically no harm done there, which Paro must also know, because otherwise he'd be more upset about her getting to the German ambassador's house. Yeah, it's... Uh, I, mm, yes. Because mm. if Paro doesn't know that, you know, then... It, he would have to respond with more urgency, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> or he just doesn't care. I just, I don't even know. But it's, the whole thing is all a bit, oh, really? It's not like, an incredible theft, I'll put it that way. Well, because the other thing, well, it's unbelievable. Yeah. It's also not really a theft. It's not, well. Oh. It's more like a kind, it's a complicated conspiracy. Sort of. Oh, it's just a series of things that happen. <laughs> yes. It's a, yes, it's a, some events would be a good episode, name for this episode. It's a, it's a double deception, right? Yes. But it still means that the reason that the British government didn't trust this dude was actually the truth thing. And, yeah. And everyone kind of acts as if this was a fantastic resolution to the episode and that, like, Mayfield is essentially golden at this point. And you're kind of like, but wait, he actually did do the thing that you were all mad at him for. So mm. why is... What? <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, there's really no... There's no... I had a good explanation for that. It's just, it's fine now. Yeah, just, and his wife is so giddy about it all that they're essentially just a a couple of teenagers in love again. Yeah, they're making out in the dining room. Like, it's, (laughs) I really don't understand. We'll never see Reggie again. (laughs) I just don't get why this is all such a, well, Reggie's Carrington's kid, not. Yes, but he just vanishes from the episode is what I'm saying, right? Yeah, he's got nothing but. Yeah, so this is, and this is in the, and then it ends with, um, Jap making fun of Pyro for not liking it when things go quite so well. Mm. And then uh, the banter wagon drives off for its oh, next destination. Hang on, hang on. Doesn't Hastings, he's still slightly sour about all this, and he tells Poirot that this is what happens when you meet anonymous women at the penguin enclosure. Yeah, it is, yes. <laughs> yes, this is... Hastings tries to turn this into a lesson for Pyro about meeting anonymous women at the zoo, which is as close to a resolution to this as we're going to get. And then the car just drives off. Lads, lads, lads. Bounce, 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 and they're gone. Yeah. And I, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's a weird one because, like, it doesn't have really a mystery because 
Well, I guess it does, but like... It has a mystery, but it doesn't have a mystery that anyone who is watching it could be expected to care about, right? Yeah, especially because, like, obviously they're all, they're trying to entrap um Vandalin, but she actually is worth untrapping, right? That's not a trick, you know what I mean? That's not like a double bluff on the part of the episode or, like, so the the kind of... If, you know, thinking about sort of the cliches of mystery stories, but like the whole thing with her is you find out earlier in the episode that there's supposed to be some other guy that she deceived or that she, you know, blackmailed or something and, and he uh, killed himself and he, you know, was responsible for giving some plans over to the Germans, that kind of thing. And she was a suspect in that. But clearly she's never, none of this stuff has ever been proved or else she wouldn't need entrapping, right? That's kind mm-hmm. of the point. So, um. Also, if she's that obvious of a, of a spy or a yeah you know, like just stop inviting her to the top secret stop parties. taking it so yes like, stop inviting her to de- department of defense parties for the first part but the other <laughs> the other side of this is that that would be that would be proper like the, the other side of this is that so yeah so there's there's possibly a twist to be had in the fact that maybe she is innocent like there's a line earlier in the episode about how like oh we got to make nice with the americans for some reason uh in case the war breaks out there's maybe an interesting twist here in that she is actually like a double agent or something like that. You know what I mean? She is trying to do something more noble and her whole kind of awful facade is an act. You know, th- th- you could build a more interesting character out of her than they do. Mm. But no, she is exactly what she appears to be. She is, you know, a German double agent blackmailing. She's just an agent. She's just an agent. Point. Yeah. It's just like, she's just, they just let her kind of bomb around the countryside and. Well, it's basically, maybe, maybe she's friends with someone really fun. And so it's like, yeah, but if we invite her, then we've got to have the spy. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But, oh, she's so good at charades. She's so like, good at bridge. Yeah. yeah like it, it's, <laughs> yes, it's not a great look. Um, and then they never do anything with stuff like um, Lady Carrington's like gambling debts or anything. That's just mm. like it, I there wouldn't was even oppo- bother calling it a red herring because it's only there for five seconds. There was an opportunity to have other suspects, right? Like yeah. to have Reggie or Lady Carrington, like other characters, kind of in the orbit, but they so quickly write off anybody but a small central cast and then Poirot just sits there spinning helico- uh, spinning propellers, like, propellers. Mm. Like, yeah it's definitely a strange <laughs> one it, it is it feels like it's sort of as much as I would be loath to lose the extensive toucan enclosure sequence well actually I will say that if you have ever been to London Zoo and have wondered what that penguin pool would look like with penguins in it then watch this episode yes that's a- you know yes <laughs> Because they're not allowed to have penguins in it anymore. Right. Yes. No. That's that's a good enough reason as any to watch it. But what I'm saying is, some of that setup mm. maybe came at the expense of having a mystery <laughs> when things got going. Yeah, I can't remember because I think that the original story was part of an anthology. It's part of the same anthology as um, one of the previous ones that i now can't remember oh murder in the muse you know mm, yeah um yeah so okay. I, I can't remember how good or bad it is in comparison i really can't but um yeah so uh, <laughs> it, yeah essentially it lends itself to a lot of those sort of Bounce, bounce, bounce moments. Mm. But it, it is just composed of a series of those interspersed it, with some fairly stock yeah, characters. Yeah, I'll put it this way. Time. If Hastings wasn't in this episode, 
it would and Miss have been. Lemon. Yes, but Hastings specifically. Hastings gets a lot more to do than she does. She's only in one scene. He's being ghosted by an architect. Yes, and then he gets an, it goes from my love life's terrible because I can't do cubic geometry to car chase in the course of a Hastings episode. So that's that's worth saying in its favour. It's quite action packed. And there's an amazing shot where they just go through a puddle and the puddle. Yeah, I love that. That sort of set up as almost like the threat in the car chase. You know, modern television production values, someone would probably get impaled. Yeah. Right. You know what I mean? It'd be like a HBO show. Someone would be naked. Someone else would be on fire. (laughs) But no, this was the 1980s ITV. And so we're going to see a big puddle. (laughs) You better believe it. We're going to go through. There's a light danger of aquaplaning, but it doesn't come to anything. Yeah. Mm. What's your extra of the week? Is it the rustic uh, truck? Maybe the rustic truck, man. It's not high. So yeah, because Reggie's in it too much to be an extra. We can't. We can't extend it. Too many lines. He does. We can't extend it to characters like that. So um, I would say either the portrait of young Mayfield, Mm. the bumpkin on the back of the truck. Um, and possibly oh, maybe the German Shepherd. Maybe the good. He, he seemed maybe like a good boy. boy. Yes, uh, yes. The paradox of the good boy. Oh, and also, no, no. I'm gonna go with the policeman who just stands there watching his car get stolen. Yes, because yeah. he makes no effort. He sort to of goes oi from stealing yeah. that car. Yes, yeah. yeah. Yes, a good selection. Um, did we make a note what the next episode was? We didn't do it. Uh, the next episode will probably be... Oh, I did know this. I looked it up. We're on a new disc of the DVD box set, which is why this wasn't obvious. I know. Oh, I did look it up and everything, but... Oh, well. That's Too late for that now. not going to happen. Mm. <laughs> well, join us next time to discover whatever that is. I think there's two more episodes left of season one. Wow. So... Um, given that we said that our approach to questions for this podcast would be that we would do an episode of questions at the end of a season and see how that goes. So if you do have any, um, burning questions to ask, um, possibly just about anything to do with Hastings, Mm. um, (laughs) you can send them to questions at greatandcrowbar.com. Yeah. So, Do us a favour and um, stick little grey cells in the subject line so I can easily separate them out. Yeah, if you put little grey cells in the subject line and if you try and keep it sort of to a paragraph because mm. that just, oh, it's so much easier on my tiny, tiny brain. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> Poirot got all the grey cells and I've just got like three of them sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> three little grey cells. <laughs> right. But yeah. Um, would you like to do the final bits? Sure. So it's not much to say apart from the fact that obviously, uh, Little Grey Cells has with all of the Crate and Crowbar spin-off things and indeed the main Crate and Crowbar podcast is supported by our Patreon, uh, which you can find out more information about patreon.com forward slash Crate and Crowbar. Uh, you can find out everything else we do at Crate and Crowbar.com. And that's pretty much it for that stuff. If you like to, find us as individuals on the internet uh, i'm on i'm on twitter i don't particularly use it but you find out what i'm up to at uh, twitter.com forward slash c thurston which is c-t-h-u-r-s-t-e-n mm. and pip i am at philippa war which is p-h-i-l-i-p-p-a-w-a-r fabulous mm. catch you next time yeah do 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 do
that was sufficiently bad that they can't sue me for royalties. <laughs> <laughs> the perfect crime. <laughs> Bye. Bye.